0: Welcome to Medicus, a student run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Alec, and I am so pumped to continue with the MS4 specialty series. As an FYI, the next two specialty interviews were recorded a few months prior as we had to take a break from editing due to most of the members of the Medicus team entering our dedicated step one study time. However, I was able to squeeze in a couple specialty interviews right before I quote unquote hold up in my study cave. So for this specialty podcast, we brought in Jen and Harjo to talk about the exciting field of neurology. And I absolutely love this interview because both of these fourth years gave really, really sound advice on not only neurology, but on how to ace third and fourth year in general. So I highly recommend listening to this podcast all the way through. As always, hit us up on social media at Medicus Podcast. And if you have any episode suggestions, comments, or are interested in joining the Medicus team, you know, you can always feel free to DM us or send us an email at medicuspodcast at gmail.com. So thanks again, guys. And I hope you enjoyed this MS4 Neurology episode. So guys, who are you? And take us through your journey in medicine thus far.
1: Sure. So my name is Jennifer, and I first got interested in medicine, honestly, through a book. Um, It was the summer before college started, and I was just perusing Barnes & Noble, and I saw this book called The Brain That Changes Itself. Um, I wasn't really sure what to do with my life and what major to declare during college, Um, but I thought that this brain book sounded kind of interesting, so that summer I read the book, and then when I first started at UC Irvine, um, and I was deciding what classes to register as a freshman, I decided to enroll in these um, interesting-sounding classes. Um, it was kind of a neuroscience series that met the criteria for um, science prerequisites that you needed to graduate from college. Um, and. Uh, The first class that I registered for was Brain and Behavior, and then since it was UC Irvine's on the quarter system, it was a whole year uh, consisting of three classes. So the first one was Brain and Behavior, the second one was Drugs in the Brain, and the third one was Brain Dysfunction. And I absolutely fell in love with the brain. I thought it was the most interesting thing in the whole world. Um, It kind of dictates how everyone perceives their environment, how memories are stored, how people think, how logic is formed. I just thought it was A very interesting subject. Um, Unfortunately, I lacked the confidence, I think, going into medicine. And I just didn't think I was smart enough to be a doctor. So I kind of put that on the back burner and declared an economics major um, because I liked math. Very interesting. Um, (laughs) And money. (laughs) So they kind of went together. Um, And I also had a minor in psychology. So all of my classes in psychology kind of filled the niche of me doing those neuroscience classes that I really, in cognitive science and um, those subjects. So uh, at the end of, I actually graduated from UC Irvine in three years. Um, I had a lot of AP course credits going into it, and I was really still struggling with what to do with my life and what to become when I got older. So I was actually studying for the LSAT, thinking I was going to go to law school just because that's what my brother does. Um, But I realized, you know, you only have one, it's very corny, but you only have one life to live. And I really thought, you know, this is something that I love. I love neuroscience. It's definitely a passion of mine. Um, So from there, I decided that I wanted to go to medical school and become a doctor and kind of had gotten some confidence through college classes and thinking that I could maybe do it and was smart enough. Um, So then I went to UC Irvine's kind of science Um, chemistry, I don't know, I was trying to declare a new major, trying to figure out how to get these classes, and uh, they told me I had too many credits to um, be guaranteed any biology or O-chem or physics classes, so they said that they advised me to graduate from UC Irvine and then do a post-bac pre-med program, Um, and that's what I did, Mm -hmm. I did a post-bac pre-med program up in San Francisco at San Francisco State, um, and was able to get all the courses I needed, took the MCAT, and then was able to go to medical school at Loyola. So um, it really started off with that book, which is kind of an interesting start, Um, but it was just something that kind of grabbed my attention. And um, ever since then, I was very interested in neurology And had kind of decided to go to medical school with the intent of doing neurology.
0: Wow, so cool. Harjoth, how about you?
2: Um, Okay, so my name is Harjoth. Um, I so mine actually kind of started with books too, Jen. Um, So I just had these uh, little like flashes of memories being a kid going to like the public library with my parents, and for some reason I always ended up with like the cartoon but like anatomy books Mm. um, that I would just flip through. I didn't actually understand anything of what it said, (laughs) but. Um, And so I always kind of knew that I liked biology slash, in general, the sciences. Um, And then I went to USC for undergrad, and I started off as just a bio major, I think. And my best friend there was a neuroscience major, and her classes sounded cooler. Plus, I wanted to be in class with her, so I switched majors. And I really loved the courses. It's a similar concept, that both the psychology of it and when you're actually looking at like cognitive neuroscience were really fascinating um and then i think one really big point that uh convinced me to go to med school was i also shadowed in an underserved clinic mm-hmm. while i was in la um it was a med clinic and i loved the attending that i shadowed she was phenomenal with her patients she went above and beyond um these patients were people who very much had significant need um And a large number of them you could very clearly see were underserved, and so it just felt very rewarding, even just shadowing her and like being in the room with her. Um, So then I chose to come here. Um, And then I didn't really know I wanted to do neurology until third year, so I kind of just floated around for a while. Um, But, yeah, and then I finally made up my mind last year.
0: Sweet. Um, And that's actually a perfect transition into our next question of what took what? What was the deciding factor for you to go into neurology? So Jen, it kind of sounded like you always had an interest in it, um, and then Harjoth, you had an interest as well. But um, I guess actually, specifically from you, what would you say was like the tipping point, maybe in your rotation, or or what like actually drew you to yeah. pursue neurology?
2: So, yeah, like you said, I was interested in the topic, but I feel like I had heard very uh, negative things about the field and that you can't really do much for your patients. And I'm somebody who gets emotional very easily. So I thought I would find neurology super demoralizing and upsetting. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of, you know, crossed it off my list unofficially early on. And then it was my very first real rotation of third year. And I loved it. But I also just knew I'd love rotations because I'm a people person um, and so I thought that's all it was. Mm-hmm. And then as I went into my next two rotations, I was like, mm, I don't like these quite as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I'd have patients who, you know, when I was on internal medicine, who had like a paresthesia as part of like, you know, they're really here for like COPD. Right, right. But they got like a paresthesia and like my, you know, I'd and perk just, up and yeah, 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 exactly. And then I think a lot of it was also during my neuro rotation, I'd like We'd discuss concepts during rounds that I wasn't familiar with and I'd write it down to look it up and I'd mm-hmm. be reading on the side and like looking mm-hmm. up stuff on mm-hmm. up to date whenever I got the chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that in other rotations, but not as much. Mm. And so I kind of I think I kinda of like pieced it all together in like December ish of third year mm-hmm. that these were all signs that probably neurology was the field for me.
0: Cool. And that's such a cool thing too that you got to, you know, at least for me I would almost think like okay I need to go through everything to see that like okay this is the one that I really like like it's Mm -hmm. it's probably almost like unsettling if you haven't decided what specialty you're going into and like the first rotation that you do is like actually the one that you really love because then you're like oh is that you're right like is this like just the nature of doing a rotation is that Mm -hmm. why I like it or not so that's really cool I think you're one of the first people that have like been the first rotation that's like that's it. You know. Yeah. I
2: got really lucky with it. Cause so. I didn't think I wanted it. So I wasn't trying to put it in the middle
0: for sure. For <laughs> sure. That's awesome. How are you?
2: Um, so I did keep an open mind. I always
1: liked neurology and the neurosciences, but, um, my first rotation was general surgery of third year and I fell in love with that as well. So I think there's, there's something to be said about the first rotation and, um, mm-hmm. how exciting it is to be in, uh, you know, in the OR, in the clinic, working with patients and actually getting to listen to their lungs. And it's, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's a really nice experience and you can make really great connections with patients as a mm-hmm. medical student. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did keep an open mind. I considered ophthalmology as well um, because it kind of combines some aspects of neurology. Um, I feel like the eyes are the windows to the brain. Um, <laughs> and it also had surgical components uh, I did realize after shadowing a couple times, I took an, I did an ophthalmology rotation in December of my third year, uh, and it was kind of between neurology and ophthalmology at that point. And in January, I think I was on my pediatrics rotation, and we could do a subspecialty outpatient clinic, and I did pediatric ophthalmology. Um, and I just wasn't super passionate about the work. Of pediatric ophthalmology and ophthalmology in general, I thought it was a wonderful field, and you could really restore people's eyesight. And you know, definitely, people appreciate
3: mm-hmm. being
1: able to see again. Uh, I just thought the eye was too limited and focused, and mm. you really have to love the eye and all the structures of the eye. And I felt that I that I was being a disservice to myself mm-hmm. because I wasn't passionate about that part of that body. Mm. I really wanted to just focus on the brain. Gotcha. <laughs> so, yeah. um, that's kind of what was the tipping factor of me deciding neurology. I just wanted to be true to myself and mm-hmm. the 18 year old who had fell, fallen, fallen in love with neurology, um, during college. Mm-hmm. So that was how I decided. Um, and I think too, when you have the pressure of applying to away rotations, that's kind of what made my decision. Cause you have to decide which specialty to do an away rotation in. And so it's, Really, that's the crunch time to mm-hmm. designing a specialty. And that was, I'd say, maybe in February, mm-hmm. March of third year.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, what are some things that you both dislike about this field?
2: So uh, neurology is primarily outpatient. Um, and I'm somebody who really, I really enjoy inpatient more than outpatient. I like like the high acuity conditions. Um, I like when you're having um, more immediate impact on somebody's health, which you usually see more in inpatient. Um, I also got a little bit disillusioned with outpatient during some of my primary care outpatient rotations because it kind of just felt like this revolving door every 15, 20 minutes, um, and it felt a little bit rushed, and I felt that I couldn't take the time to as make as good of a connection with my patients as I wanted to. That being said, there's still a lot of inpatient options. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. um, One thing that I don't love about
1: Neurology is, I also get fairly emotionally attached to patients. And mm. I would say neurology is one of the sadder fields because, you know, just by nature of neurologic disease, it is kind of taking away a part of somebody, a part of their language, a part of their sensation, a part of their strength. Uh, and so, really seeing patients decline because they've had a stroke or because they have Alzheimer's or Kind of seeing them not be who they are anymore, I think is, and also for the families, I completely empathize with families who have a loved one who are going through this same thing as well. But alternatively, I think that kind of fuels my fire to help patients in that way and to even address their more emotional needs of going through this neurologic decline um, or compromise. Um, and it's, you know, quite the privilege to be able to be that person to help um, patients and their families going through these really dramatic um, experiences. So uh, it's kind of a double-edged sword, I, mm-hmm. I would say.
0: For sure, for sure. And I'm almost like going with that, what are the stereotypes or assumptions of your specialty? And is there truth to any of them? And you, know, you almost, I, I was gonna ask actually, you know, it being considered a quote-unquote like a sad specialty mm-hmm. and the idea uh, that I've heard that like it's not a specialty where you cure or whatever, um, which, you know, I, I think there is probably not some truth to that. So I just want to hear your your opinions on, on Yeah,
2: that. so I've had a handful of attendings. Now, I haven't heard the phrase so much, but I've heard a handful of attendings refer to it as diagnose and adios, that that's the perception uh, yeah, about yeah. neurology. Yeah. Um It's definitely less true now than it was, I would say, 15 or so years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been a lot of growth in terms of treatment options in the last decade to two decades. Um, And I think another, and this kind of goes with a, a kind of change that we're seeing in healthcare in general, in that we're not so much focused on treating somebody's disease and helping them recover medically as much as we are on quality of life, that's also uh, an important factor now. And I think that in neurology, there's a lot that you can do in terms of quality of life for patients, in terms of making sure that they're okay, um, their mental health is um, being taken care of, that they're receiving therapy and all of that, in addition to the fact, in addition to the pure neurological aspects of their disease.
1: Yeah, I'd have to agree. I I heard a lot of that stereotype as well, being that There's not much that neurologists can do for patients. But once you're in the field, I've also heard of incredible stories about patients who presented with a, you know, hemiplegic stroke and they can't speak. And then they receive TPA or a thrombectomy Mm -hmm. and they walk out the door in two days completely back to where they were before they had the stroke. Uh, So there's a lot of really promising future horizons, I think, of neurology and medications, treatment options. Uh, I know MS has a lot of great um, new drugs that are coming on the market, seemingly like every month. And it's a type of thing that you can, if you intervene early, you can really stop the progression of the disease. Uh, There are still, I think, truths to the stereotype. Uh, I think like Alzheimer's and cognitive science Mm -hmm. fields can be a little less promising. I think there's a lot of hope on the horizon, but I think currently we don't have great medications for Alzheimer's, for example. Um, and so that can be a little tough, I think, Mm -hmm. in this field, but Mm -hmm. overall, and I think as far as like stereotypes, we're like the intellectual stereotype, which I don't (laughs) mind.
0: (laughs) Um, The very cerebral kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Which I don't mind that. Sweet. Yeah. I Um, think also
2: there's the stereotype in terms of personality type that we're a little bit nerdy or a little bit dorky, which to some extent is true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I'd agree. It really depends program to program, institution to institution. Um, There's some places where I've been where that very, like I interacting with people, I'm like, oh, this is where that comes from. Right, Right. And then... There's are some places where I go where the residents seem like just like the average person in medicine. Cause everyone who goes into medicine is a little bit nerdy. Mm-hmm. Right, if you're choosing to study course, this yeah, much,
3: yeah. <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> uh, I was going to say also in regards to, um, you started off this question by mentioning that people often think of it as a sad specialty and kind mm-hmm. of touching on something that Jen said earlier. It can be, it can be sad, um, because you do have patients that you, that are deteriorating sometimes. Um, that being said, I think those are the cases that I find more rewarding because those are the families and the patients that you get to support more and um, that you get to be there in a time of crisis for them. And so while you know, I'm usually, in those cases, on the verge of tears in the room with them, it's also the one where I walk out and I'm like, oh, okay, I did something today.
0: Mm. Mm. Well, that's, a, that's a great point. Um, Jen, I know you're talking about how you were sort of deciding between opto and neuro. Um, and so we kind of heard that dichotomy. But um, I, I wonder, were you, Harjoth, were you ever deciding between two different fields as well? Um, or did you kind of realize once it was neuro, like that was, that was it?
2: So there were kind of a couple others I considered that like at the time I was like, oh, I think this is it. Um, so second year, uh, I thought I was going to do cards because mm-hmm. I loved the study of cards. Um, mm-hmm. And then I got the opportunities. So here at our school, we do um, histories and physicals with an attending that we're assigned to second year. And I got assigned to a cardiologist. And I realized that I like cardiology from a primary care perspective, but I don't really like it when I'm in the weeds as much.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And then I think the last two that I finally came down to were neuro and IM. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the doctors I know are um, generalists. Mm-hmm. And I think I really like the idea of breath of like knowing kind of everything. Sure. Um, and that way, if somebody just like comes up to you from your community and is like, oh, I wanted help with this issue, I could actually give them advice instead of being like, nah, I don't mm. know. Right. right. Um, but in actual practice, I didn't enjoy the breath that much. And I found that it ended up being a lot of cardiopulmonary conditions, especially on the inpatient side, sure. yeah. um, which, like I said before, aren't 100 percent my um, cup of tea.
0: For sure for sure. Um, for someone, you know, neuro neurology and neurosurgery They're, You know a neurosurgeon would probably like shame me for saying like they're <laughs> similar because they're they're not every specialty is different Um, but what if someone likes the brain, right? Um, like in your case jen, uh And they're deciding between okay. I want to go do something in like a neuro field Um, how would you like talk to them about like choosing between neuro and neurosurgery is if there is like a deciding factor or is it just like if you like the or
1: i think if you like the or that's a really large contributing factor to pursuing neurosurgery i think lifestyle is also something to think about i believe neurology provides a better lifestyle especially because 80 90 of neurology is outpatient so you can have guaranteed weekends off holidays off nine to five have a nice outpatient life whereas neurosurgery is a big commitment and i would say for anybody considering neurology versus neurosurgery to definitely think about the lifestyle that you sign up for Um, as neurosurgeons you really have to love it it's got to be one of the things that you can't see yourself being happy doing anything except for neurosurgery Um, the residency is incredibly difficult I would say it's probably one of the more difficult residencies Mm -hmm. you can sign up for. Um, That being said, I think it can be very rewarding. Um, Neurosurgeons are definitely at the front line of treating emergent cases. Same with neurology, but at least on the stroke service, if they're not a TPA candidate but they are a candidate for thrombectomy, we'll call neurosurgery to do the Mm -hmm. thrombectomy. So (laughs) they're kind of the ones who... Are doing the procedures mm-hmm. and then neurology is managing them mm-hmm. usually before and after they've had a stroke
0: gotcha. so um, You guys do you guys work really closely together oh yeah, mm-hmm. or is it separate in terms of like care? I guess.
1: Oh, it's super connected mm-hmm. Um, the relationship between neurology and neurosurgery is very close and that's something to think about When you're looking at residencies and th- mm-hmm. it's a good question to ask and a lot of people on the interview trail asked what the relationship is like between neurology and neurosurgery residents because if there's any kind of...
0: Riff, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: It can be um, hard, I think, to work in such an environment where there's not a friendly camaraderie. Sure. So, yeah, you are working very closely and, you know, you'll concert consult neur- neurosurgery for a variety of things and they'll consult you for headaches and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's just a lot of go between between the mm-hmm, two mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. so i think they work very nicely together mm-hmm. and there's a mutual respect because everyone wants to save the brain and everyone sure. has the same goal in mind mm-hmm. so it very can cool. be a good relationship
0: mm-hmm. is there also You know, I I heard, I think one of the attendings we had here, so we have um, like neuro small groups uh, for our um, like mechanisms of human disease course here at Loyola. And um, one of the attendings, I think he like just came out of residency and he's, uh, I think it was honestly like a seven year residency, but it wasn't neurosurgery. He was a neurologist, Mm -hmm. but he does procedures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you are interested in going into neurology, but still like OR like stuff, you can still do that right yeah and do you know what surgery I, I, I don't remember what he was or what he did but it was like some sort of like, like angiography stuff or uh, yeah so the
2: closest time. thing that you can get to neurosurgery within neurology is um essentially the thrombectomy cases that jen mm-hmm. was talking yeah, about I think that's, those can be to, yeah. those people can either be coming from neurosurgery from neurology or from ir oh okay um gotcha. and so some so we have a neurology attending here who's one of the thrombectomy attendings okay um yeah. in addition to that uh, not so much or but still procedural there's other options in terms of doing procedures um with emgs with eegs are procedures mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's still other options for procedures but that's the closest that's the only one that feels like true or as far as i'm aware
0: gotcha. mm-hmm. and and with those attendings that like the thrombectomy attendings are they more do they still get to manage their patients after, or do they send it to, like, another neurologist that is more, like, outpatient care? Um,
1: it probably depends on the setup of the institution from mm-hmm. what I'm aware of. If you are doing thrombectomies, you don't often see those patients in clinic afterwards because you're so busy sure, performing dear, yeah. those thrombectomies and yeah. doing procedures. Mm-hmm. Uh, So a stroke physician would probably take care of your patient once they were discharged Mm -hmm. from the hospital. And that's usually how a lot of stroke management goes from Uh what my experience has been. Uh You know, there's an inpatient stroke neurologist who takes care of you Uh while you're, you know, suffering from a stroke and getting treatment for that and getting the workup for what caused your stroke. Uh And then you might be able to see the same physician you saw in the hospital as an outpatient, but there's also like kind of more strictly outpatient stroke neurologists Uh too. Um, Everyone takes call and as inpatient if you think if you do stroke neurology, but Mm -hmm. there's different business models and practice setups of different private practice and hospitals and things like that can be a little different
2: I know that attending that I mentioned that does the thrombectomies. I know when he's on call for the OR, that's not the same week that he's, or the same days mm. that he's covering the inpatient stroke service, but he does, I'm pretty sure he also has an outpatient clinic. Mm. So theoretically, you could request him mm-hmm. as the person that you'd like to follow up with outpatient, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I don't think that'd be the default.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So it still sounds like there's a lot that you can do out, like from neuro, not just like you're going to be an outpatient physician mm-hmm. doing yeah blank. Yeah.
1: Definitely. And that's very true for neurology. I've heard a lot that you can tailor your practice to exactly what Mm -hmm. you want. If you want to do strictly outpatient, you can. If you want to do strictly inpatient, you can. If you want to do a mix of both, Mm -hmm. you're certainly more than welcome to. And Mm -hmm. neurology is a great field to go into because uh, as the population ages, more and more people are going to have neurologic conditions that are going to be needing treatment. And also, I think the average neurologist is like over 50 years old. So there's kind of this, yeah. a, the, I mean, a lot of the neurologists now are likely going to retire in the next 10, 20 years. So there's going to be a large void and a large demand for neurologists. So mm. I think that gives up and coming physicians mm-hmm. in the fields some drive to bargain for their salaries and to negotiate and to kind of build the practice that they really want,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is nice flexibility to have. And in the places
2: that they really want. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's a good point, too. Nice. Um, So yeah, so now I'd like to talk a little bit about matching into the field. So um, you guys are two awesome fourth years that are (laughs) going to residency. So actually, could you tell us where you're going?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I am going to
2: University of Wisconsin in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, And I'm going to the Barrow Neurologic Institute in Phoenix, Arizona.
0: Awesome. Um, So those obviously are like really great programs. So what did you guys do to make yourself competitive in matching into neurology
1: I think a lot of it's hard to say kind of what was the tipping point into why a program liked you versus other students because everyone has you know their certain sparkle that they bring to the table Um, but I think a lot of people on the interview trail a lot of physicians that I interviewed with were very interested in my research Um, I don't I mean, maybe that was just a point of talking, but they did almost every interview, men- mentioned my research and kind of tell me about what happened. Um, I do agree, you know, commitment to the field is important. Um, they all want to know why you chose neurology, what inspired you. Tell me about a patient that you interacted with that led you to neurology and led you to the field and why you're so interested in it. Um I don't know. I I always loved neurology, so I felt like my application reflected
3: mm-hmm.
1: a lot of the things that I had done even prior to medical school. I was a uh, like child behavior specialist for children with autism. That came up a lot in interviews. I just really liked to share my passion for neuroscience, so <laughs> I started like a high school camp to introduce high school students to neurology or neurosciences so they could start thinking about it before college. So a lot of my interest projects and volunteer work was kind of surrounded by my passion for neurology, which I think was helpful um, when I went through the whole process because a lot of my application was geared towards
2: neurology. Mm-hmm. For sure. I th- Mine was actually kind of the opposite. So my <laughs> application wasn't really all that neuro-specific. Mm-hmm. The one tip that I was going to give, though, specifically for neurology, was it's a relatively small field. People know people, so if it's really helpful to get a letter from somebody at your neurology department, especially if there's somebody who's a very well known name, um, or you're a program director, either or, I think that can go really, uh, take you really far in the application process. Um, Otherwise, everything else I can think of is just like generic. Mm-hmm. You know um, Have extracurriculars That you're actually Passionate about Because you'll get asked mm-hmm. um, They want to see That you're committed To stuff mm-hmm. Research definitely helps I don't think With a neurology Necessarily has to be Neurospecific mm-hmm. But that certainly Can help
0: mm-hmm. um, How did you guys Structure your fourth year For matching into um, Neurology And I guess I should Like put context To this question Because you know At least in The institution That we are in You get to kind of Pick where And what you do Because that's obviously the time that you decide that you spe- your specialty and you need to do your aways uh, like do you even need to do a ways for neurology um so yeah so if you guys uh what do you, what do you think about that
2: so um we actually both did aways but you very much don't need to for neurology mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. my personal reason for doing a ways was i was trying to go into a different geographic area mm-hmm. um and i kind of just wanted to get my face out there mm-hmm. um so I so the way my fourth year looked is I chose to do CK early, mm-hmm. partially because I knew that m- a lot step, of my... Step
0: two CK. That's yes, sorry, I, step yeah, two yeah, CK. Yeah.
2: Um, partially because I knew a good amount of my fourth year was going to be just neurology, and there was a chance I'd forget a lot of the rest of medicine.
0: That's a good point. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I wanted to
2: take it before I forgot yeah. everything else.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and then I was scheduled to do my ICU month here, and then I did um, I, a few aways. I actually did them mostly during interview season, which is usually something that people try to avoid, but that's just kind of how it worked out for me. Mm -hmm. So I took one month off during that time so that I could try to push interviews towards that free month that I had. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, for the most of the rest of my year was electives back here at Loyola. Hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah, I agree. Taking step two CK and step two CS as early as possible is the best strategy. Um, I took Step 2 CS in April of my third year, which is so early, but I was so happy to get it over with. Um, and you know, I was a little bit nervous about not having done psychiatry and OB/GYN to prepare for Step 2 CS, but you just need to study that one first aid, first Step 2 CS book, and you'll do just fine. Um, I overstudied for it; I took like two <laughs> weeks. Um, and then I took Step 2 CK in July, which I highly recommend. I took a month off, studied for it. Um, And it was nice to just have all the standardized exams that you're required to do done with before you really start fourth year. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then fourth year, I did do an array rotation at UCLA, um, and that was awesome. I really got to see how how another institution practiced and managed patients and got to kind of get my feet wet in an amazing institution. Um, And so that was quite the unique privilege, I thought, and then I did two other away rotations. Um, they were both at the institution that I really wanted to match at, which was University of Wisconsin. Um, and I did one stroke rotation after the UCLA stroke rotation, um, <laughs> which really made me look like a rock star on the stroke rotation that I really wanted you know, to match into. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, because I had just done stroke for a whole month, and so oh. I had a lot of experience managing those patients. Uh, And then I did a neuro ICU kind of away rotation, but it counted for the ICU rotation here, which was a really great idea because I got to, it was more of a neurosurgical rotation. um, And it was nice to kind of see that aspect as well. Mm. And just to see how other institutions operate. I would recommend away rotations if for certain people if there's a very specific institution that you want to go to. You know, if you want to go to Johns Hopkins or Stanford or UCLA or USC or any of these institutions that you might feel like maybe are out of your kind of range of your step scores and things like that, I think hard work goes a long way. Mm -hmm. And um, if you do well on the rotation and you really get your face and name out there, it can pretty much hopefully guarantee you an interview at the very least and maybe a lot of recommendation from that institution. I think it can be really helpful if you're trying to match to a specific place. Um, But a lot of people on the interview trail that I talked to did not do aways and didn't feel like they were necessary. Mm -hmm. And they're not. I mean, you can definitely match to where you want to go without an away rotation. I just think it helps, um, especially if you do well on the away rotation.
2: Yeah. The only other person I came across During my aways, who was doing an away rotation, was in a similar boat as me. She was really trying to get into a specific, like the greater LA area, because of her fiance at the time. Um, And so, you know, she was also trying to get her face out there. The other thing I just wanted to emphasize something you said earlier, Jen. I think one away can be a really good learning experience in terms of seeing how another institution works, and also just in terms if there's a place that you're really considering going. When you're doing your interview, you have one day when everyone's on their best behavior. And that's the perception that you're getting of the place you might go for the next three to f- three or four years of the next four years. Um, and I think it was really helpful for me to be able to see these places day in, day out for four weeks. Mm-hmm. So that I really felt very comfortable with, OK, I know what this institution is like. I know what I'd, I'd mm-hmm. be getting myself into if I went here. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's, that's, that's really good advice. Um, and then specifically for the rotations themselves, um, how does one stand out on uh, on a neuro rotation? So Jen, like you were saying, you just came off a stroke from UCLA and then you went to UW <laughs> and killed it with your uh, <laughs> managing the stroke patients. So how did you, quote, kill it?
1: <laughs> wow. <Well. laughs> um, you know, I, I think knowledge is helpful, but I don't think it's everything. They know that you are quote just a medical student and they don't expect you to have fellow knowledge of reading you know an mra and knowing which arteries are where in the brain and so you know it's nice to know all that and if you have you know experience reading angiograms and things like that that's super helpful but it's certainly not a prerequisite Um, i didn't really know anything going into the ucla rotation and i thought like i did well mostly because i just worked hard um you can stand out on rotations by showing up early, um, staying late. like this is the time, especially if you want to match to this specific institution. this is the time to put your full work and f- like best Energy. self yep. forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you again, show up early, stay late, you work harder and you challenge yourself, you pick up more patience. You do anything it takes to make, the residents' lives easier mm-hmm. because they're going to vouch for you to their program director and say, it was really great working with her. Um, you know, she helped me with notes. And, you know, it's depending on the institution and what's allowed. Um, mm-hmm. I think as long as you take responsibility and ownership for your patients, mm-hmm. and that can mean very vague things. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, anytime a person comes in and you take that, you pick that patient up, you should write an H&P do progress notes every day, write their discharge summary, put in as many labs as you can, even though they have to get them approved. You know, I mean, there's certain things that you can try to do to be like, hey, I just threw in that CBC for that patient. And I think residents can really appreciate the extra set of hands, extra set of eyes, Um, going and seeing your patients kind of before you leave for the day, just checking on them, Mm -hmm. see if there's anything that they need, you know, running small errands for the residents and i'm not like saying like get coffee that co- get coffee <laughs> for them um
3: i'm
1: i mean like they're like oh i wonder if you know so and so still has their foley you know can you just or, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. they just think out loud and be like oh i'm happy to go check whatever whatever right, it right. is mm-hmm. um kind of be their extra set of eyes and ears to mm-hmm. help their lives a little bit um mm-hmm. so i thought that was i mean i don't know if i Killed it per se. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know, you just work your hardest, and mm-hmm. you hope that translates into mm-hmm. them thinking that you are working hard. And also, just there's something to be said about like the social climate of away rotations. Um, you want to fit in. Mm-hmm. It's a awkward situation because you are kind of thinking of every word you say when you talk to them, and oh, are they judging me? Did I say something dumb?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, cause you were really on your best behavior and I was, that was psychologically difficult for me. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, what did I say? Something silly. Um, but overall, I think if you try to fit in with the team and you try to get along with people and you're mm-hmm. overall a positive energy in the room, cause it can be kind of stressful. Um, I think that can go a long way. And mm. not being some, like, nobody likes a negative Nancy and it's like, right. oh, I'm so tired it. or right. I'm it's hungry. Just, yeah, or yeah. I want to go home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you got to be positive. So excited to be there. This is a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm happy to do whatever you need me to. You mm-hmm. know, think just mm-hmm. having a positive attitude, I think, goes a long way. Cool.
2: Um, a couple things I'd add to that. So I had <laughs> written down all the things you just said, Jen. Oh, um, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, so I also would say, in general, people tend to like, um, and I've heard this from Loyola. I don't think I've asked so much at other institutions. Um, even if people aren't going into neuro and they don't necessarily like the study of the field, they tend to like their neuro residents. Um, neuro residents tend to be pretty approachable, and they like enjoy teaching students about their field. And so ask questions if you have questions. It shows your interests. Sure, probably more, probably 50% or more of the time, they're going to tell you to look it up. Um, especially if it's not like an intern. If it's like a senior fellow, they feel comfortable saying that. Um, But then look it up and come back with your answer and let them know that you did look it up. Um, I think it's really helpful, especially if you're someplace that has a really busy service or if the resident's just um, rotated and so it's new residents on the service or if it's a weekend and there's like one resident trying to take care of the whole list, know your patients like inside and out. Um, It goes a long way if the attending asks a question and the resident is just too overwhelmed to be able to know everything about everybody, and so they're trying to flip through. It helps a lot if you can be like, oh, this is what that answer is, and mm-hmm. like you can see it like on their face that they're like, oh, yay, oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> a specific advice for neuro, um, I think it's a, a really good idea to be looking at the images yourself instead of just looking at the read. Of course, like none of us are experts yet. Do also look at the read, and mm-hmm. that's what you should be reporting, mm-hmm. but... Try to look to at read the image from
0: the radiologist. Yes. Page. Okay. What they uh, say, okay. Mm-hmm.
2: But also look at the image yourself. See if you can identify it yourself. If you have some free time, just scroll through some mm-hmm. good scans, or ask your resident who has a good scan for you to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to get better at angios, um, and I just asked my residents for some mm-hmm. MRNs whose scans I could look at, who had like very clearly identifiable uh, mm-hmm. blockages. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I think there's a really good website. I think it's called Head
1: Neck Spine. I haven't heard of this. I have to Google it again. But <laughs>
2: um,
1: it's a really helpful website that teaches you a lot of anatomy, um, you know, vessel anatomy, structural anatomy. Um, so that can be a really helpful resource during yeah. your OA rotations. A lot of the residents I interacted with, use. Mm-hmm. I think it's just called head, neck, spine.
0: I like I'm just googled resident. it. Is it head, neck, brains? Yeah, yeah,
1: that's something. That might <laughs> <laughs> the brains four. important. Yeah, mm-hmm. three out of four is not bad. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, <laughs> it's so that, that might work. It says my account has been suspended, so I don't oh. know. Do you think like it is like a
2: like resident? I don't know. Yeah, I'll
0: yeah. uh, we'll look into it more. Yeah. Um, so, Did you
2: already yeah. have an account? Yeah. So no, it no, no, no. It,
0: no, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I'm really, really on it right now. No, I, uh, I thought it was
1: a free account.
0: Yeah, or like a, a free thing. I don't know. It just might be my computer, but um, that's
1: fine. Oh, it. mine says that too. Yeah. Well, maybe the,
2: the account might be Maybe wedging. that's their maybe default statement yeah. if you don't have an account yet.
0: For sure, for sure.
2: Huh. The okay. other thing I would say is, and I think this is most useful for when you're in a stroke service, but it's also useful for specific patients on the general service. Um, try to localize the lesion before you look at the imaging or before you present. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of, not as much um, residents so as much as attendings, Really like to know that you're like thinking through the neural pathway and trying mm-hmm. to be like, where does this all intersect? Where could the one point mm-hmm. uh, where the point of impact be that could create all of these different um, symptoms? And a lot of times they'll ask you. I know, third year, like during your general neurology rotation, when you're supposed to be learning all of this, attendings will ask and they'll be like, oh, so where do you think the stroke is? While they're like pull it, pulling up the scan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I think so think it, about that beforehand.
1: I think it can make you look really good if. In part of your um, assessment and plan, you of course do your one liner about the patient. You say they presented with these symptoms, you know, right hemiplegia and speech deficits. This localizes to the left cerebral hemisphere and it's likely a like left middle cerebral artery occlusion. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that, and then you could, I usually would follow it up with saying, you know, CTA did show. A blockage of the M two artery and blah blah blah.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I think yeah, if you look like you've thought about the neurologic pathway a little bit, mm-hmm. that can help as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Kind of talked about like how um, you choose going into a residency program, um, or you you fell in love with a program, or you you knew that you liked going to you wanted to go to UW, or or you just kind of.
1: Yeah, I was a little bit biased. Um, (laughs) My fiancé is a neurosurgery resident at University (laughs) of (laughs) London. Full disclosure here. Um, And I did really enjoy the whole interview process, and Mm -hmm. I did interview at um, quite a few other institutions. And I think as a young professional, making early professional relationships can be very helpful in your future. Um, And it's just a nice experience to go on all these interviews Mm -hmm. and to meet people who, you know, get to talk to them about neurology and why you love the brain. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people choose residency based off of personal reasons, um, whether that's location slash geography, whether they Mm want to be in the sunshine in a Mm -hmm. specific state, um, Mm -hmm. whether that's, you know, if they're single and they just want to experience a new city uh-huh. or if they have a loved one somewhere or if they want to be closer to family uh-huh. I would say a lot of residency determinants are based off of family um, and location mm-hmm. uh-huh. but also there's certainly a handful of people who also want to go to the best of the best uh-huh. um, which is completely respectable and that's just a everyone has their own priorities I think when choosing a specific residency so you know Decide what is important to you out of your residency, and
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, if this is an institution where you could be happy at. And I was very fortunate that University of Wisconsin is an amazing place to learn neurology. Um, I learned that from my way rotations, and I felt like the residents were really nice and approachable, and I thought that I could be really happy there. So it was kind of fortuitous, I thought. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it, that was
2: always kind of on my radar. For sure um so a little bit of overlap my biggest thing was by far geography um so i am from california i am not used to the winter uh <laughs> the winter for the first two years was okay me and either. then after that i was kind of sick of it i'm okay. moving more north too so <laughs> <laughs> lord help good me good luck Jen. Uh, uh, <laughs> um yeah so
0: for I anyone for anyone who wasn't in like the midwest this like last winter i think <sighs> what was it it reached like negative 50 something yeah. in I think 53 And then in, like, Minnesota, it was, like, negative 60. It was, like, awful.
1: But honestly, once it's below zero, it just feels It doesn't matter.
0: It it totally doesn't. I'm
1: also going to be honest. During the days
2: that it was about negative 50, I didn't go outdoors. So I didn't really experience that. I did learn how to make chili. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So a lot of it was location for me. I Mm -hmm. wanted to go um, to the West Coast or the Southwest. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of it's probably the biggest thing for me. Is I wanted to know that I vibed with the residents um, mm-hmm. that I was going to be working with, that I, the personality type essentially mm-hmm. of the program, because um, that can vary significantly. It's also a little hard to tell before you've interviewed there or at least done away there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some other things that I looked into was. I think now the percentage is 89% of neurology residents Mm -hmm. go into fellowship. I think that's true. Um, And so I wanted to, so chances are I'm going to do fellowship. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to know where are their grads going? Are they staying at that institution? Where are they going geographically? Where are they going in terms of the caliber of the programs they're going to? Which fellowships are they going into? Is it Mm -hmm. like they're sending people to fantastic MS fellowships and like everybody else is kind of like going to like little things or Mm -hmm. is it pretty even across the board? Mm-hmm. And then for neurology specifically, um, this is getting a little into the weeds. When you apply for fellowship, um, a lot of the applications nowadays are in third year, and mm-hmm. your first year of neurology is internal medicine. So you really only have
0: two years, a year
2: want. and some fraction, yeah, to figure out what you're doing for the rest of your life. <laughs> um, and since neurology has so much, is so much of it is outpatient, mm-hmm. I wanted early outpatient exposure because, mm-hmm. like most residency programs, um, neurology usually has a heavy and the early part of it is heavy on the inpatient component. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted someplace that'd give me a lot of outpatient exposure cause I didn't want to second guess my decision when I was applying for fellowship.
0: Right. Oh, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so we kind of finished talking about neurology and, and now I'd like to just kind of end with the advice section. So this is, you know, for students who are in any stage of the medical school, uh, training process, um, so I guess to start, what advice would you give to pre-medical students out there or gap year students looking to apply to medical school?
2: So I would say um do activities that you enjoy. Your CV or your resume does not have to be all about medicine, both when applying for med school and when applying for residency, the things I talked about the most were the random hobbies that I had written on my application. Um I think it goes a long way in terms of work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Um, it also certainly does not hinder you. I think it helps you in your application. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think uh, for me a lot of it is do things you love because they'll be able to see that you do love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just do what you can to explore the field of medicine. It is a really big commitment when, when you start med school, especially since until two years in, you're not really seeing it on the day-to-day even. So even if you change your mind, you might not be making that – change of heart for until you're two years into debt. Um, So do what you can to explore the field, um, Mm -hmm. whether that's shadowing, whether that's research, whether that's scribing, whatever it is. Um, And then in terms of gap year, what I usually tell people is if there's something else that you're thinking about doing with your life, try that out. Mm -hmm. It's certainly not going to mess up your med school application to do something else for a year. But if you go into medicine and then after you're done with residency, decide, oh, I'm going to take a year and do – something completely different from medicine, it could affect your uh, career prospects in the future. Mm -hmm. So this is your time to see if you want to do something other than medicine.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I did take a gap year while I was applying, which I thought was very helpful because you have free time to go on interviews for medical school. Mm Um, I also worked a couple of jobs because I was saving money for medical school. I mean, I don't know. thats not You're not going to save enough money for medical school, um, right. unless you win the lottery, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wouldn't prioritize working too hard um, and trying to save money because it's you're going to take out a bunch of loans anyways, most likely. Um, and so I would really just try to have fun. Um, do not study medicine. I think everything you're going to be taught will be taught in medical school and residency. So I wouldn't, you know, start reading first date. I mean, that's just crazy. No. Um, I mean, you can if you want. I just think you you learn about these disease and pathologies in a very regimented way in medical school, and they do it for a reason. They do it so that you can gain a, a good breadth of education so that you're prepared to treat people in the future. Um, so I wouldn't stress out too much about studying um and I would just say have fun, spend time with your family and your friends. Medical school is really hard. The schedule can be very busy. I've missed, I don't know, three family members' weddings because of mm-hmm. you know, USMLE step one exam, step two. It's just hard to be with people that you love all the time, especially if you go to a medical school that's not in the same state as where your family is from. So spend time with the people that you love. I'm glad I did that before medical school started.
0: Cool. Um, how about for first year medical students?
2: Um, so I think it. My advice kind of slightly varies depending on what the educational structure is at your school. So the traditional system versus the um, system-based education. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's the traditional style, enjoy your first year, man. It's not. <laughs> um, so that's a loyalist structure, and I mean, with that structure, you're usually amping up with at least every year, if not every semester, for your first two years. Um, you're likely in a new city um, and you're not going to have as much free time as you do your first year in your second and third. So Mm -hmm. it's your opportunity to really explore the place you're at, Mm -hmm. solidify those new friendships in the new city that you're in that are going to help you get through the rest of medical school. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say enjoy it. Um, Also with that time, if you're super, well, if you're decided or super undecided, um, try shadowing in some fields that sound interesting to you. Um, that was one of my biggest regrets about first year was I passed up on a lot of opportunities for just shadowing in a bunch of, I think it was internal medicine subspecialties here. And now in hindsight, I was like, oh, that would have been really cool to see because I'm not doing that again.
0: For sure, <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, I think
1: that for first year, uh, I would say get a good study routine down Uh, a good way to organize kind of how you're going to do medical school. Um, Are you going to rewrite your notes? Are you going to make flashcards? Are you going to make study guides? Mm -hmm. Um, Are you going to review PowerPoints? Are you going to do Anki? I mean, this is the time during first year is to figure out exactly how you learn best. And, you know, I don't think it was really until second year that I had figured out a really good system and a really efficient system to learn. Um, But if you can do it first year with, kind of the classes that you're given and learning how to do well in school, then I think um, that's the best advice and have fun and, you know, get to know your city and make friends. Um, Shadow as much as you can. Maybe start a research project Mm because once third year hits and even second year, it's really tough to do research during those years. So Uh maybe do some research first year or after the summer because the summer between first and second year is kind of the last summer break you'll ever have, except for, except for the fourth, fourth year. year. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone
2: told us it was the last, and I now know. we're like, we have a full summer. I have like months three months <laughs> off, it's great. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet. The only other thing that I'd add, and this one might be a little bit controversial, but um, I think it's really important to be aware of what personality type you study best with. Mm. Um,
1: or if, if you're study somebody at all other yes.
2: people. <laughs> Some people so I'm somebody who's I don't really get stressed very easily. So it works really well for me to study with anxiety prone people because otherwise I will slack off too much and mm-hmm. they like keep me mm-hmm. like in mm-hmm. high gear.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I've saw a lot of people, I think in second year, who were already kind of anxious and then were studying with other very anxiety prone people and it just made their anxiety get to the point where it was debilitating for in terms of they couldn't study as effectively as they could right. have. Are you right. talking
1: about me, Harjo?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, that was so me. <laughs> and so I think it's it's something that, you, that I think a lot of people aren't as conscientious of first year. Mm. Um, but I think it's something that you should consciously try to be aware of if... You know, even if you really enjoy spending time with people, are they necessarily the best study group for you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or yes, as Jen said, do you just study better by yourself? Mm.
1: And finding a good way to relieve stress during first, first year is good because you're going to need it for second year because second year is very tough. Um, you know, whether that's exercise, running outside, playing tennis,
3: mm-hmm.
1: hanging out with friends, going shopping, whatever your way to decompress is, um, definitely learning how to do that first year is really helpful.
0: Cool. Um, you kind of touched on like, figuring out how to study second year, too. Is there any other advice you'd give to second year students? Or you know, sometimes, in traditional school, you take your step one after your second year exam. So I, that might inevitably come up in the conversation. Um, but yeah, what, would, what advice would you give to a second year medical student?
2: So I think one of the hardest things second year is people are both st- trying to study their school curriculum based on you know, the lectures that they're having at school. Plus, you have, like, 15 gazillion resources that are just, like, thrown at you that people are like, I loved, you know, X, Y, and Z for step. And the other person's like, I loved A, B, and C. And you're like, am I supposed to use all six? Um, figure out early on, like Jen mentioned, if you haven't in first year, figure out early on second year which ones work well for you. Mm-hmm. Um, don't try to study with everything. Kind of pick, I think, like, max two during um second year like before actual step studying to Mm -hmm. just kind of like augment as you go Mm -hmm. um and then most i think most med students need to hear that you need to relax in second year um a lot of people (laughs) um a lot of people and i personally didn't don't and i didn't uh start studying for step until dedicated and that is fine so if you're having difficulty both like taking care of your classes and getting good grades in your classes and step studying at the same time, you can wait to step study until the time that is dedicated for step studying. Um, Don't compromise like passing second year because you're trying to be super prepared for step one.
1: Yeah, I think I agree to some extent. I do kind of wish I had started studying for step one earlier in second year. Um, I was a very anxious study um, and took school very, very seriously. Um, And I think a lot of second years do because they do put a lot of emphasis on step one being one of the most important parts Mm -hmm. of your residency application. Um, That being said, I put too much pressure on myself and I don't think that was beneficial or conducive to like a healthy mental state. So I think to a certain extent, it's good to have high expectations for yourself, but don't beat yourself up too much too. Um, mental health and wellness is crucially yes. important during this time. Um, so I would emphasize, you know, spending time to exercise, spending time with loved ones, um, you know, doing whatever it takes to keep your head above water. And, you know, the once you're refreshed and you have a a better mindset going into studying, I think you'll be able to retain a lot more information than mm-hmm. if you're just constantly bubbled up with, you know, anxious thoughts. And I'm gonna fail, and this is, I won't be able to do X, Y, and Z specialty if I don't get a 250. Um, I don't think that was helpful for me. No, it's <laughs> At not the end helpful of the day. for most people.
3: Really.
1: <laughs> yeah. Even though everyone's thinking it. <laughs> everyone thinks that everyone does. And you know, the best advice I I would just say keep your head above water. Mm-hmm. Cause that's what it feels like. You're constantly feeling like you're drowning. <laughs> um, and everyone goes through it, and there is a golden shining light at the end of the tunnel, <laughs> and that golden shining light is fourth year of medical school. So cool. <laughs> uh, I
2: love that you say that you were intense about med school, Jen. <laughs> Now I'm way chill.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, fourth year, what? You have like not even a month till the graduation? Or, yeah, uh,
2: we have yeah. May 11th. Cool. Three and a half weeks.
0: Ah! Nice. Um, so between the second and fourth year, there's third year, right? So there's like rotation. So is there any advice you'd give like generally for like third year medical students? Um, or I guess if it's not a traditional school, just like general rotational advice, um, mm-hmm. I guess.
2: Yeah. Um, so I think one of the most useful things that I did third year was I tried to find something that I loved about every rotation. Um and by that, I genuinely—I mean that I genuinely was like, could I love doing this? Let me like um, have a really positive outlook about this. Because if you go into rotation being like, I'm going to hate, you know, OB-GYN. Sorry, OB-GYN. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you're, you're automatically going to um, color your view of it. Right, and right. you won't be able to seriously consider it as a specialty mm-hmm. um, if you're putting it down internally every single day. So go into it seriously considering that this could be my life like is this something that i really like and even if you don't like it as a whole find something in there that you do really like Mm -hmm. um i think a lot of there's a lot said to uh early third year students about little tips and tricks to like get out early and like what are like useful tools that you have to do less work um Mm -hmm. the residents are not (laughs) residents are not dumb Mm -hmm. they they know what these sentences mean um my favorite
1: is there anything else I can do to help you today? <laughs> I
2: mean, and like it totally made it, it totally made sense. to me when it was like 4 p.m. and it's really close to the end of the day, yeah. and you've been sitting there for two hours, just like waiting for somebody new to come in. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Don't start asking that at 1:30 p.m. <laughs> There's a long part of your day left. Don't start. Don't have your residents thinking God, the student already wants to leave. All right.
0: Are there, um, so is that like the most? That's phrase? the that's <laughs> the well,
2: key phrase. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything I can help you with, or anything more you need help with? Because then, like, if they don't, they're like, no. And it's awkward if they just stop at it. no. It's like, no, you can leave.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I don't. So I how, don't, would you, how would you reword that then? So
2: I always just said, um, what do you need help with?
0: Oh, okay. Because I, I,
2: I don't yeah. handle yeah. well being bored. Right. And so, yes, it was also driving me bonkers to sit there for two hours when no patient is coming in. But, I mean, they are have, you know, things that they have to do, like, up to their necks every mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time, mm-hmm. and so most of the time, like if you ask them if they want any help with anything, they will have something for you, or they'll at the least be very grateful to send when right. that you asked, mm-hmm. and then we will send you home instead mm-hmm. of just being like, oh, they're just using this because they want to leave. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I think it's always nice to update them and say, oh, I went to go visit, you know, Mr. Jones down in this room, mm-hmm. you know they're feeling better, they're in less pain, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And then giving them updates kind of towards the end of the day and then asking, Mm -hmm. is there anything else you'd like me to do? Mm -hmm. Then they could say, oh, no, 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 that's it. Like, get out of here. Because
2: you actually did something right before you asked.
1: Right, exactly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But that being said, I mean, I never really tried to leave rotations from third year early I didn't that wasn't really a goal of mine mm-hmm. it was really I kind of just that was the way it was and your time isn't your own as a third year which mm-hmm. can be kind of hard to stomach because right. first and second year you have all the time to yourself um, but know that that this is kind of one of the only times in your life where you'll get to do certain specialties like pediatrics or OB-GYN or family medicine and so really kind of diving into those pretending like you're a resident in that mm-hmm. specialty, I think can be really helpful. Also, another tip and trick for studying for shelf exams is online med ed. I use that all third year. And I thought it was, I feel like my whole basis of medical knowledge is essentially derived from <laughs> online med ed. So is I Is that
0: would, a subscription thing? Do you buy it? or? So they have free,
1: free videos. Menu? All the videos are free. And for the most part, I just watch the videos. I did buy the subscription because they mm-hmm. have Flashcards and extra questions. Mm-hmm. I don't and like notes too. Right? They have notes too. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
1: I don't know if they're super necessary because I ended up just taking my own notes while watching the videos, which mm-hmm. I found the most helpful.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but if you want extra practice, I think you know definitely buy the subscription. Mm-hmm. And um,
2: yeah, I got onto the online med ed bandwagon way late, but it's super helpful. Yeah, I, used helpful it once for I
1: did. it my first like general surgery. I was using it. I was like, <laughs>
0: This is great.
2: The five
1: cool. W's of, you know, fever, post-op fever, I'm like, let's do this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, how about for, like, so I think some people take, like, step two around third to fourth year, or mm-hmm. at least sometime in fourth year, so did you guys have a plan for that, or did you know you wanted to get it done out of the way before, you know, you really got into the thick of fourth year?
2: So I wanted it done and out of the way. Not mm-hmm. so much CS, because I had heard that CS was pretty chill, that you mm-hmm. kind of just need, like, a couple to a few days to study. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was like, okay, I could even do that during like a break that I have or if I'm on like a chill rotation later or I had that month off. Mm -hmm. Um, But I wanted CK out Mm because CK felt, uh, sorry, Step 2 CK felt Mm -hmm. pretty daunting. Mm -hmm. So I wanted that out of the way.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think taking both Step 2 CS and CK as early as possible after third year and before fourth year is the best um, because The knowledge that you have gained all through third year is very fresh in your minds. Um, Like, for example, I took Step 2 CK right after I finished my OB-GYN clerkship. I didn't really even study OB-GYN because I had just studied it for the last Mm -hmm. month and a half, and I felt like that part was very strong because it was so fresh in my mind. I didn't need to read. And OB-GYN is one of those where you kind of have to study it again if you haven't done it for six months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So I got lucky in that sense. And... um, I think as far as resources go, I would definitely recommend online med ed, um, for any kind of refresher on concepts that you're struggling with, whether it's mm-hmm. heart murmurs or pediatric pathology, um, OB-GYN pathology. I mean, I think his videos are comprehensive, simple to understand, up-to-date, current. I mean, mm-hmm. I really trust his videos. Um, and then I'll, I just use that and... Um, Mm UWorld, which, I I mean, I thought I was very well prepared for a step two, and it is so much easier
2: than step one, (laughs) like dramatically. (laughs) It's nice. Um, I really only used um, UWorld when it came to step two, but I wanted to say one mistake that I feel like I hear a lot of people saying is during step one, they have like an epiphany that a certain resource they had heard a lot about that Uh that was very useful for studying. They personally... It didn't work for their studying. So Uh they, for example, people hear a lot about first aid Uh for step Uh one. And then, you know, say this person goes through step one. and They're like, why am I doing this? I'm not a book learner. That's not how I learn well. But I feel like I'm supposed to use this book and it Uh doesn't go well. Uh Don't use the book again for step Uh two. Like you just because people say a resource is good. You've had a very similar experience just a year to two years before, depending on when you're taking step two use those lessons when you're Mm -hmm. when you're planning how to study for step two Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like don't you know assume Mm -hmm. that that's less useful information than what you're hearing from other people about what's good to study with Mm -hmm. cool
0: um and then so now the light at the end of the tunnel fourth year um do you have any (laughs) recommendations um for your fellow classmates or things that you maybe have seen that your other classmates like you you would have been like oh you should have done this versus this um yeah anything about that
2: Um, So I would, it's not actually that my fellow classmates did. So I mentioned early on that I did um, a ways during interview season. That was a big gamble. Mm -hmm. Um, It worked out for me. Honestly, I would try to advise not to do that or not to have really intense rotations during your Mm -hmm. uh, interview months, Mm -hmm. just because I thought I would have a lot more flexibility in terms of my interview dates. But at least one of my interviews, I just got an email that said, here is the date, Mm -hmm. that you're invited like there weren't choices it was just come on the state um which i did not realize it was going to be some of them were really flexible but i didn't realize some of them would be that inflexible Mm -hmm. um so i think keep that in mind the other thing that was really helpful was um so like i said i want i was trying to go move geographically Mm -hmm. um but my application other than the fact that i'm from california Mm -hmm. uh doesn't really show um like I've been out here for the last you know four years and Mm -hmm. I haven't really been going to conferences on the west coast things like that Mm -hmm. um and so I haven't I hadn't really shown that I was committed to moving back Mm -hmm. um and so I wasn't getting as many interviews in the region that I wanted and so I, I think in like December I just emailed a bunch of programs and I was like hey like And would kind of like put in a little bit of a connection between me and the city that they're in. Mm -hmm. And then I'd be like, look, I'd be really interested in your program and in coming here. Um, And, you know, I like hope I get an interview or something like that. Mm -hmm. And probably like a third of them gave me an interview. And this was in December. Oh, really? And I got a third of those emails responded (coughs) and I got interviews. And some of them obviously had already booked up all their spots. Some of them Mm -hmm. were already done with interviews Mm because I did it like at the end of December. Um, but it really, it gave me a, a good number of more interviews and I was like, oh, I wish I knew that it did this like two to three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I thought that was really helpful.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I would recommend, uh, definitely doing OA rotations in July, August, September. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's when I did it and I thought it was a good way to go. Um, because really, or october too so interviews for neurology start mid-october and they go all the way to mid-january mm-hmm. so i didn't know that timeline going into it um and i was on a rotation i believe in october in a way rotation and it is kind of awkward to ask for days off because and interviews aren't on weekends mm-hmm. that's another fun right. fact right. um they're all <laughs> during the week and so if you're trying to kill it at this one away rotation, you're like, hey, I need Tuesday off. And they're like, oh, why? It just can get kind of awkward. So, you know, people definitely, and they understand everyone plays the game. But I think if you're able to completely dedicate your time to away rotations and then completely dedicate your time towards interviews. Um, That being said, I did have to switch around a couple of my required rotations at Loyola, I mean, they were electives, but, mm-hmm. um, like, I gave myself all of December off and had a easier elective in November. So I, I did kind of have to arrange my schedule to make myself more available for interviews. Um, and that's just the fact. And, you know, it is sometimes difficult to get time off during fourth year to do interviews, um, especially if you're on a required rotation like ICU or wards mm-hmm. at Loyola here. Um, but... There's always a way around it. I feel, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. students figure out a way to get to the interviews that they want to go to.
2: And I actually felt surprisingly that the my aways were a little bit more flexible than my sub-eyes were here. Um, I thought it'd be the other way around. Um, mm-hmm. So just because the aways, a lot of times you're working more with the residents and you're attending, and there's not as much of a direct connection between you and, like, the... PD or the clerkship coordinator, who's the one who's actually looking at your schedule. Like I know some of my ways, I would tell my resident first. I'd be like, hey, next week on this day, like next Thursday, I'm, uh, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna need the day off because I have an interview somewhere. And some of my residents, some of my ways, were like, okay, that's fine. We don't even need to tell them because I know that they're gonna get all like particular. Because I had one interview that was two days long. Mm-hmm. That would have been, I think, all the days I was officially allowed mm -hmm. off on this (laughs) on this away rotation and he was like we don't even have to mention it it's fine i -hmm. understand this is how it is
1: and then i think that being said if you do have to take time
2: off during an away rotation for an
1: interview whatnot um you just have to work your butt off and Mm -hmm. make up those days so i mean if you have to work both saturday and sunday when you're only expected to work one weekend to make up for a day or two that you were gone You just do it. And you do it without asking. And even people are like, why are you here? You were here yesterday on a Saturday. Um, You just say, you know, I want to be here. I want to work hard. Yeah, don't try to
2: make yourself seem like a martyr because you came in two days on
1: a weekend. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You just say, you know, I wasn't here on Tuesday to help the team out. You know, I want to make that up for you guys. You know, you do what you can.
2: For sure. Yeah. Cool. Um, I have a couple more things I wanted to say about fourth year. And then one thing that I remember that's kind of third and fourth. Go for it. so I kind of touched on it earlier. During my rotations, I would kind of write down, like, things that I hadn't heard of or things that I wanted to look up. Um, I know when you start rotations, you're, a lot of people are given this advice of, oh, you should be, like, reading articles um, all the time. I honestly, I'm not a huge fan of article reading. Like, I like more summary or, like, up-to-date things like that or, like, going through a bunch of abstracts of articles rather than digging through an entire article. Um, And so what I would usually do to compensate for the fact that I knew I wasn't going to be constantly (laughs) article reading was I'd write down any terms that I was unfamiliar with and then go home and look them up. And if we discuss them the day before about a patient, they're probably going to come up in discussion again the next day. Um, And if you join that discussion, it automatically shows that you went home and did some reading on the side without... You necessarily having to be like, here is the article that I'm passing out that I looked up, which mm-hmm. some people also do, and that's fine as long as you do it gracefully mm-hmm. um, and not in a show-off way. Um, but I just felt very uncomfortable about that, and so this was my like alternative that I did. Mm. Um, my other things were, I know it's very difficult to do, but if possible, when you go places for interviews, try to give yourself like an extra at least half day, if not a day, to see the city the neighborhood Mm -hmm. um you might be living there for the next four years and i mean there's always the opportunity or maybe not necessarily four if you're not doing your own um people sometimes go back for second looks but then that's also more expensive to fly back and forth again Mm -hmm. um so if you can like if your interview's on a friday try to spend most of saturday in the city so you can just kind of explore and see if you'd be willing to live there Mm -hmm. for the next handful of years Mm -hmm. Um, and then once, I think the day's February 15th, or is it 20th when we submit a rank list? Maybe 20th. That once you submit your rank list, clearly we've already <laughs> forgotten this. <laughs> <laughs> try to breathe. Mm-hmm. There's, there's literally absolutely zero utility to you panicking at that point because yeah. you can't change <laughs> anything, done. Right, it's yeah. done. Yeah. <laughs> so try to breathe if you need to pick up extra hobbies to entertain yourself or mm-hmm. go out with your other very anxious med school friends who are also in the, <laughs> worried about way. matching. Yeah but um, don't let your, try not to let yourself, I guess, um, simmer in that anxiety because it can be a very anxiety-prone time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I agree. I think another general tip during third and fourth year is to get a really good presentation down And I think what I struggled with during third year was that it felt like every presentation was a little bit different depending on what rotation. I Mm -hmm. just didn't know what attendings wanted and all this, all this, you know, kind of extra stuff that I just felt like was so out of my control. But I really do think there is a basic bare bones presentation style that you'll eventually learn Mm -hmm. based off of feedback from your attendings. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Do you mind sharing like what you would think? Like (laughs) my point? Yeah,
1: yeah. Sure. Um... I mean, so it's, it's essentially like a basic soap presentation. So subjective is always, um, kind of what's going on, obviously the first liner. So Mr. Mm -hmm. Jones is a 55 year old male with a history of CKD, blah, blah, blah. Um, who presented with a COPD exacerbation Mm -hmm. and then overnight he, so, so that's the, so one liner Mm -hmm. first thing. Mm -hmm. Second is anything that happened overnight so overnight he required two liters of oxygen which was up from yesterday's requirement of one liter Mm -hmm. and he received a trial of duonebs so Mm -hmm. kind of like any kind of intervention that happened overnight Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. any Mm -hmm. kind of overnight updates or he coded you know Mm -hmm. don't Mm -hmm. say no acute and oh this is a big pet peeve of mine in my notes when somebody's like no acute over events overnight no acute events overnight and then it's like you also saw that like a central line was put in and he was started on pressers <laughs> and it's like, Oh wait, oh, wait. this isn't a cute event. Um, he, his blood pressure was 50. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so update your notes always just good hygiene and good, um, good mm-hmm. practice. practice to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the overnight events. It's mm-hmm. been so long since I've been on service. Um, <laughs> and then I would do, I mean, a lot of the times it, they want, like, basic, like, vitals is not your objective part. Mm-hmm. So vitals, any exam changes. A lot of times there's no exam changes. Mm-hmm. But if there is, you know, definitely report them mm-hmm. or say no new changes in their neuro exam, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or their lung sounds are mm-hmm. the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and then any kind of, like, new labs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. New imaging, like oh, he had a CBC which showed an elevated white count up mm-hmm. from yesterday. Always say what it was yesterday too, so mm-hmm. trends are important trends. in mm-hmm. medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know,
3: mm-hmm.
1: what else? Uh, imaging, he had a chest X-ray, mm-hmm. looks improved from yesterday.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Any he micro, grow. mm-hmm. he's growing this. Mm-hmm. And then assessment and plan. So this is a so-and-so guy with a COPD exacerbation. His culture grew, strep pneumo. Mm-hmm. He's currently being treated with antibiotics. Mm-hmm. He's on oxygen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, it's, it's hard because you have to decide what type of person you want to be when you present. Do you want to be a systems-based person where you mm-hmm. go like head to toe um, or a more problem-based mm-hmm. um, the ICU likes systems-based, and mm. I like the ICU, so I've <laughs> kind of adapted to a systems-based. And mm. I think it helps because you're not missing anything. Mm-hmm. And I kind of do. This is a nice tip. Um, I kind of do a systems problem-based combo, which might be kind of annoying, but like for pulmonary, mm-hmm. I'll say number one, COPD exacerbation. Mm-hmm. You know, intervention: two liters of oxygen, mm-hmm. duonebs.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And then number two, pneumonia.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, or strep pneumo, pneumonia, pneumonia mm-hmm. and then. These are the antibiotics he's on. Mm-hmm. So I do like in bold lungs and mm-hmm. then what lung issues are going on. And then mm-hmm. I'll do heme. Oh, they also have anemia. He's mm-hmm. getting iron. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think I like that because it seems very organized yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. And I just started picking, doing that with my notes. So mm-hmm. that's new. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: But I mean, I know medicine does, they like a problems based, right. but that just mm-hmm. seems so unorganized. Um, and it seems like you could miss things because if you're not thinking mm-hmm. about their kidneys, you might not be thinking about their CKD, you mm-hmm. know.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Gotcha. And so that sounded like that was for um, like a more inpatient, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. So you can and, and I guess for most of the rotations, you're going to be in the hospital doing that but for like outpatient family and maybe peds and, um, you know, medicine if you have it. Um, I guess you can you can still tailor your presentations like that, right?
1: Yeah And I would tailor all outpatient presentations to like why they're here today Mm -hmm. Whether it's for an acute visit like oh, I had the sniffles and we're treating you for the flu you're Mm -hmm. flu positive That's all you're here for Um, Or it's a more preventive care Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So, oh, we're managing your diabetes or we're doing a blood pressure check and Mm -hmm. really you don't have to make a note that's so inclusive of every problem that they have,
2: mm-hmm. every lab
0: they've had in the last yeah,
1: months. exactly. If they are just here for an acute, you right, know,
2: mm-hmm. right. have that in the back of your mind
0: if they ask, right? But then yeah, but, definitely. Know, actually,
2: right. and yeah, obviously, but when you have somebody coming in outpatient, there's a lot more in the subjective, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and you want to organize it. And I mean, you hear this a lot, so this is not the first time people are probably hearing this. Um, you want to essentially prove your point in your Mm -hmm. when you're telling your subjective Mm -hmm. so if you think this person has the flu you start with okay these are the symptoms they have and the ones that made you think flu Mm -hmm. and then you're like Mm -hmm. these are the ones they don't have which made you think oh it's not something other than the flu Mm -hmm. and then you know and so pertinent positives negatives um like the pertinent exam stuff you don't really need to go through every single Mm-hmm. System. I mean, I think it's a good practice at the beginning of third year, mm-hmm. go above and beyond. Talk. It's mm-hmm. better to talk more than talk too much than to talk too little in your presentations. Mm-hmm. They will tell you to cut it shorter mm-hmm. if you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think by the time you're in fourth year, it's you. They want to also know that you can tell which parts of your presentation are actually pertinent, useful information, mm-hmm. and which mm-hmm. stuff is kind of just fluff at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And then I would for any kind of HPI. I always use that acronym, OLD CARTS. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Um, People have their own acronyms that they use, but Mm -hmm. OLD CARTS is onset, location, duration, characteristic, uh, aggravating factors, relieving factors, timing, and severity. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do that literally for every Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. chief complaint that comes across. And it's, you know, if they don't have pain, you don't, you know, but even if they're like, oh, I have the sniffles, it's like, well, how severe is this? Is it just of in, interfering with your life or is this like you can't breathe out of your nose and mm-hmm. you're very uncomfortable mm-hmm. so i think you can kind of tailor it towards work,
3: work
0: with
1: any yeah problem. any kind of chief complaint mm-hmm. yeah
0: cool um so last question what do you guys think is the best algorithm in choosing a specialty in medical school if there is one
2: so i don't love the idea of algorithms mostly just because i was told an ag- algorithm that sounded very reasonable and logical Um, and that's the one that had me totally convinced I was going to do cardiology,
3: um,
2: which I never got to do in the rest of med school. So I Mm -hmm. could have ended up going into IM thinking, oh, I'm going to do fellowship in cards if I hadn't done that, Mm -hmm. that if I hadn't gotten the chance to do that shadowing. Um, I think we kind of touched on it before. I think one of the big questions is OR versus not OR versus a mix. I think people a lot of times paint it as like a black or white. There are fields where you can have a little bit of each, um, and then I think the other big question that I tried to answer early on was inpatient versus outpatient versus a mix. Um, because there are, I, I think there's a lot of fields where you can kind of cater it to um, a mix of the two. But if you want 100% inpatient or 100% outpatient, I think that that can kind of push you one way or another. Mm-hmm.
1: Cool. Yeah, I don't. I mean, this is the rest of your life, and I don't think it should be based off of an algorithm. Mm-hmm. I think you should. I'm such a cornball, but I think you should really <laughs> follow your dreams and your passion. Um, this is something you have to wake up and do every day for the rest of your life. And as scary as that sound sounds, it can. It's also kind of exciting and invigorating. And if there is something that you think that you love to do all the time, whether it's you know a part of the human body that you really like or if you really like a system, you know, like the cardio, cardiovascular system or the GI system, um, falling in love with a part of medicine initially um, can be really helpful. Or if you just know that you love all of it, then maybe internal mm-hmm. medicine is kind of more your, your jam. So I think really like looking into yourself and finding out what you really love and what really drives you and how you want to help people um, is a good way to go about choosing your specialty.
2: I think the closest thing I had to an algorithm, I guess I did two things. Um, I'd ask residents in every single rotation I did why they picked that and what they had been debating between before they picked it. Mm-hmm. Um, and because sometimes when you're doing rotations, so for example, with neuro, most of the time people are seeing inpatient neuro. That's not what most of neurology is. So mm-hmm. I think it can really help you get a better understanding of what the field is actually like as mm-hmm. opposed to what you're just seeing as a little glimpse. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that I started and that I forgot to continue to do as third year went on, um, I tried to write like a little reflection at the end of every rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of like freestyle, you know, every thought that came to my head about it as I went. Mm-hmm. And cause I remember a few, like two to three months after I finished neuro, I was thinking back on it and I was like, I think I really like neuro, but I'm still not a hundred percent sure that it wasn't mm-hmm. just I'm finally in rotations, and I went back, and I read that reflection, and Mm. it, like, solidified it for me, Mm. Mm. Um, because you're gonna forget the exact depth of the experience once your month's out, so I think Mm. that's a good way to kind of re-experience it.
1: Yeah, and I also think trusting your gut is really important. Mm. If there is something, if you're considering another specialty, but your mind is always going back to this other specialty, like, oh, but what about this part of that specialty year, you know, oh, but I really want to work with children in the future. And, you know, if I do, I am, I might not be able to work with pediatric population or babies. And that's really important to me. You know, definitely trust that instinct and trust that feeling and trust yourself when you are exploring other fields into what really drives you and what you keep thinking about and what you keep coming back to, because that's really what it came down to for me with ophthalmology and neurology. I would go down the ophthalmology, pathway and thinking about doing cataract surgery and how interesting that was and then I'd be like oh but what about the brain you love the brain you can't just let that go so that kind of voice inside my head Mm -hmm. kept telling me I think what the right decision was and so you have to trust that voice and trust that if you listen to that voice you're going to be happy with whatever decision you make and another piece of advice that I got that was really helpful was that you have the capability of being happy in a variety of specialties Mm -hmm. People think that this is like, oh, this is their perfect specialty, that this is the only thing they're going to be happy in. I'm only going to be happy as a general surgeon. I'm only going to be happy doing you know, neurosurgery. Um, I don't think that's true. I think people are driven to medicine for the basic foundation of you want to help other people. Uh And every specialty, you're going to help other people Uh in different ways. Uh Um, So I think there's a lot of merit in just following your heart and following what you really want to do. Um, but that being said, you could probably be happy in ENT or you could be happy in a different specialty, but to really follow the driving force and the passion inside you, I think is what
2: helps you to be happy and successful in the, um, specialty you do choose. For sure. Especially since a lot of specialties, you can really cater down the road and to mm-hmm. like the little niche field that you want to be in. So yeah, don't be looking, you don't necessarily have to look at what do you, what does the average neurologist do and say, well, that's what neurology is, or that can be applied to any field. Mm -hmm. Like you can cater any field. So it's a lot of it is about gut instinct, Mm -hmm. which sucks because we like to question (laughs) our gut a lot. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I would love to thank you guys for being here. Um, such a great interview. And if we have any budding neurologists out there, would we be able <laughs> to get your contact information? If people have like questions, would you be willing to share that?
2: Yeah. Um, so people can email me. Mm-hmm. So my email is H H a N as in Nancy S as in Sam r nine three at gmail.com. Great. Um, and I'm not sure if they're going to shut down our
1: loyal, yeah, that's email. why I gave my T-Mocs. I think they might. Oh, they, they do. Might. Yeah, Okay. You. Um, so you can email me at Jennifer, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R, L as in Lemon, Novak, N-O-V-A-K at gmail.com. So it's just Jennifer L. Novak at gmail.com.
0: Awesome. Um, well, congratulations again to Thank our one-month-away doctors. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, thanks again, guys. Thank thanks. you for having
1: us. Mm-hmm.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without the support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relationship is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.